Plane Lab, a podcast for anyone interested in RC airplanes. We'll share tips and tricks on how to build models and talk about successful flights, epic crashes, and everything in between. Visit us at rcplanelab.com to sign up for our email list and to ask us questions. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now here are your hosts, Ron and Tom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. So I want to start off this episode by getting right into an anonymous email that I received from a listener. Uh, an anonymous email. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's anonymous. And, and since it's anonymous, we have no clue hmm. whatsoever where it came from or who wrote it. Uh, remember that. Uh, it, okay. was, uh, it was important. Uh, and oh, it was okay. only sent to me, not to Tom. So that's why he doesn't know anything about it. Uh, so anyway, I'll get into it. it. Says hi guys, love the podcast. It's the best podcast I have ever heard. Well, Tom, so far so good. Yeah, it says Tom, you are so lucky to have a friend like Ron, since he sounds so <laughs> awesome. Uh, he's smart, funny, an amazing pilot, and fun to be around. Uh, he's also a great husband and dad. Like really, <laughs> he makes the podcast. <laughs> Uh, it's, okay. uh, and you know, it, the, the message goes on and on praising me and then kind of berating you about certain things. Oh, sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll just skip to the question. He says, um, I assume it's a, he might be a, a she, I don't know. Uh, but it says, my question be. is this, how do I straighten a warped wing when the trailing edge has a bow? Uh, I would like uh, Tom to answer this question uh-huh. because I'm sure Ron already knows the answer since he is so smart. Signed anonymous. Right. Ron. Tom. You wrote this email, didn't you? Me? Yeah. No. I yes. I think you... Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. My doula swing is warped. Oh, dear. Uh, I pulled it off the wing jig, uh-huh. and it is not straight. It has a little bit yeah. of a bow in it. It does. Um, it's bowing. It's, uh-huh. it's like a 737. <laughs> Sorry. Bowing. Yeah, okay. I get it. So, so what do I do? Yeah. There's a couple of ways you can do it. Thank goodness it's not sheeted yet. Uh, right. It would be much more difficult to fix if it had already been sheeted um because it's still in the bones i think that's proper it's in the raw it's in the raw and then the bones (laughs) um i believe there's you can still fix it especially since um like you said you wanted to use the the vacuum bag you still want to you know if i can i'd like to i mean but i don't know if it's still a possibility with it being so bowed yeah you can i think okay Uh, so what i would do is uh, use a piece of like an aluminum extrusion, like a, an aluminum angle, or maybe a small piece of angle iron. Okay. Um, you know, like the the L shaped stuff, and clamp that along the trailing edge, uh, top and bottom, ideally. But even if you can only do one side or the other, that's fine. That would you know make the trailing edge straight, and then as you apply vacuum, it should, uh, as the glue cures, it should sort of stay that way. Hold as it. A, yeah. Um, you know, you'll want to use a little bit of padding maybe to protect the bag from the angle iron, like that bleeder cloth or uh, the gauze or whatever that, that stuff yeah, is that, that you Yeah, that stuff that's, that's, that right. kind of compresses, but air can still get through it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So use that, vacuum it down, and, uh, you know, with that piece of extrusion in there, that should hold it straight while the glue cures. And then after it's cured, I should be able to take it off should and it's be okay. straightened. Yeah. Yep, should now, be straight. is there anything I can do before I glue it? Like, it would be nice to not have to try and do all that in the bag. Is there anything, like, can you spray it with water? Can you yeah. put weights on it and let it sit? Can a little you do bit it? of uh, ammonia, you know, like Windex, you know, the old style Windex with ammonia in it. Um, you know, spray it down, maybe not soak it, but, you know, take that and get that 
trailing edge stick kind of wet mm-hmm. and then clamp it and then let that dry overnight. Um, you know, that maybe that might be the only thing you need to do. Um, my guess is that's going to get it really, really close. And then you can finish it off by doing the same process by putting it in a bag with the angle iron clamped to the trailing edge. So you know, with, the, with the sheeting glued in place. When I have that on there, like if I, if I do that, do I need to try and, and go past straight? So it goes, you know, you know what I'm trying to yeah. say? Kind of bow it the opposite way. No, I know what you're saying. Um, I would try not to go the other direction. Uh, I would clamp it as straight as you possibly can because that's the position you want it to cure in. Okay. You don't want it to cure in a bow the other direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's possible to overfix it and then right. exacerbate the problem on the other side. Right. And then uh, I'm trying to remember, you're not sheeting it all the way back, right? I don't want to. Is that going to be a problem? With- yeah, I think I think you better. <laughs> okay, because you need that you need that sheeting to lock it in. You know, it'll still have most of it. I mean, I'm I'm going like three quarters of the way back. So is that you don't think that's going to be enough to kind of? Well, you don't have any sheeting on the part where it's actually bowed. So the bow is 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 the trailing edge stick. You don't have any sheeting on top of that stick, correct? No, I don't. But I think it's the. I don't think it's just the stick. I think it's the actual. Like the whole wing is kind of warping, because I so when I See, built it, I disagree. Because if you look down the tra- the leading edge, it's perfectly straight. Yeah, I agree. Right? And so from leading edge to trailing edge, um, I don't think that the the warp is happening there. I think the warp is happening solely based on the position of that trailing edge stick. But I maybe we need to go check and look really quick because I, I don't think the trailing. Uh, well, like, I, I think the ribs are kind of off a little bit. And the reason I say that is because when I put the spars in, it didn't line up exactly perfectly with the balsa oh, okay. that I put in there. Yeah, that's um, what you're saying. Because, like, the, we found so many real problems, like issues with this plan. With these plans, yeah. Um, so I, I cut them based on the plan. And they don't, like, the 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 uh, the place where the spar is supposed to go, the spar receiver, what do you call that? The spar cutout? The spar notch. The spar notch. Uh, it's not in a perfect line from wing tip to the center of the wing. So it's got a little from bit of a... From root to tip. From root to tip. Yeah. Right. Thanks for correcting me. Uh, I don't want to sound stupid, although I do most of the time, because I well, don't know a rib from a root. Well, my wing a, is straight. Oh, that's... <laughs> That's ter- well, I mean, that's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, but it is. <laughs> so when I glued it in, I I had to kind of finagle, and it, it kind of has like a little S curve to it, and it's not a, a perfectly straight piece of balsa that's that's yeah. in the. I think the last week, spars. even when I was looking at it, I I may have made a comment about. I that. wasn't going to bring that up because yes, you called this before I took it off. You said it might have a bow because of the way I did that, and I was like, no, it's going to be fine. And uh, apparently, I was wrong. And uh, that's you don't all have I was to say. say. It's okay. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. say. No, I wasn't going to go all the way. Um, but in this case, I would go ahead and sheet it all the way back. You're going to need you're going to need that strength to hold it straight. Okay. Because it's going to be stressed even after it's cured. I mean, because okay. you're taking it from its position that it wants to be in and forcing it in a position that it doesn't want to be in, and you're going to cure it that way. So maybe I'll go back to my original wing. Um, <laughs> that ha- I mean, it's straight as an arrow. There is not a single yeah. bow in that whatsoever. Well, it's like I've, I think I may have mentioned before, like <clears throat> when I was doing my, when I was laying out my wing, I noticed the same thing. The, the spar notches didn't, you know, if you look down them, the trough didn't line up. 
You know what I'm saying? Like the, the trough was not in a line. Right. So uh-huh. what I did was I, I laid the stick that I was going to use for the spar right on top of the notches and wherever it laid, I would mark it on the rib. And if it didn't line up with the notch, I would trim the notch a little bit so that I didn't have to put that stick in a bind just to get it down into the notch. I did just the opposite. I put that <laughs> stick in a bind and put it right down on the notch. Yes, you did. As, I mean, like I went from each one and just kind of bent it in to make it fit. So yeah. uh, I can tell by the look on your face, that's not the appropriate way to do it. Well, And no. I have now learned. So, you know, brute force and ball, so they, they don't go <laughs> hand in hand. Balsa bends, apparently. It does, actually. Uh, which I it's, thought was a good thing, which made it line up okay. But uh, yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, Introduced a warp. I, yeah. Uh, well, now you've learned, so now you get to learn how to straighten one. Hopefully. Uh, I think I think you'll be okay. I really do. You, I mean, you don't think I should go back to the original wing? <clears throat> I don't think so. I okay. think this wing, I think it, it's not extreme, in, in, in my opinion. I don't think the wing is warped to a point where it can't be fixed. So... And um, if so, and if this I, wing is prettier than the first one, but nobody's going to see it with the cutouts. I know, but I agree. You'll know it's in there. I know. That's <laughs> why I redid it. Actually, yeah. I mean, I was, yeah. I probably shouldn't have because I'd have been a, a heck of a lot longer along now than I am. But if I okay, so let's just Maybe. let's just say there's a little. <laughs> I guess it depends on how much time I have for stuff. Right. But anyway, exactly. So let's say there is a little bit of a bow that okay. is going to live in that panel forever. <laughs> forever. What should I expect during flight with that? So the way the way your wing is is bowed or warped or whatever um, on one side on mo- well it's warped on both sides one side more than the other. I thought I mean, the other side looked pretty good. Nah, the other side has a little bit of a arc to it also. Okay. So because they're uneven, worst case scenario, um, you have a a trim that changes with airspeed. And and honestly, I believe that's worst case because if you look at the, if you look at the cord line at the tip and compare that to the root, um, if anything, you may have introduced a little bit of wash out as opposed to wash in, which is not a bad thing actually because it changes the angle of attack um, at the tip and it and it actually makes it less than at the root. So imagine if the airplane is at a high angle of attack the root of the wing is going to stall first because the tip is not at that same angle of attack. It's at a lower angle of attack. So its stall speed would be technically lower. So if anything, you're adding stability, stability, excuse me, to the wing by adding washout. Um, but because it's uneven from left to right side, I would expect to some degree, you may have uh, some trim change with airspeed. Like for instance, at at half throttle or at the at half of the airplane's top speed, you know you trim it for level flight, and then you accelerate to a new speed. Your trim, you may have to add a little bit of trim or fly it with the stick or, or whatever, um, because they're uneven. If they were even, I honestly don't think you would even know they were warped. So should I fix that one or warp the other one more? <laughs> I would try to fix them both. Honestly. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I wouldn't plan on touching the one side at all. But I would I try to I... make them match at least. Okay. Because like I said, the, the one side that looks, you know, bad, um, there's there's a not an equal amount on the other side, but there is a, an amount on the other side that matches it. Okay. So well, I, know... I would try to fix it. I mean, I think, I really think you can. And I would actually try to maybe, you know, like we discussed, do a little bit beforehand, you know, just clamp a, a straight edge or not a straight edge, but a a piece of angle iron, angle iron, excuse me. Or it could even clamp to the side of a, like the countertop. 
Exactly. Yeah. Anything that's nice and nice and straight, you know, a little bit of Windex, clamp it in place, let it dry overnight and look at it. And then if, if that makes it closer, then maybe, you know, because you haven't glued the sheeting on yet, maybe, maybe try to go a little bit the other direction before you sheet it, you know, see how straight you can get it. I, I think you can get it fixed though. Really. It's not, it's not so bad that you, I don't think you can't fix it. Okay. And so like with, with the balsa, that's kind of got a little bit of a bow to it, like the, the wing spars. Mm-hmm. If I spray that, would that take some of the pressure out of that too? Like if I use Windex on yeah, that? Yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're asking. So, um, a piece of balsa that's already glued into a spar notch, and you want to take some of the, you know, relieve some of the stress. That yeah, that's not going to happen. Okay. Yeah, it's permanent. Okay, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Well, you live and learn. That's part exactly. of building. That's I mean, part I, of it. Yeah. You don't know until you try it. So. And every uh, every we'll time every time you do something like this and you fix it then you know next time, hey, I'm going to, I didn't have so much fun fixing this last time. So <laughs> I think I'm going to try to build this so I don't have to fix it. I'll be a little uh, more careful next yeah. time. But so, I still build, I still build warped wings too. That's what I was going to ask. You've done it before then. Oh, so yeah. it's not just a, nope. it's not just a me thing. No. I mean, rookies and experts alike, we, we all, we all are capable of building warped wings. And we're all capable of building straight wings also. That's I true. Hope. Yes. We'll see. Yeah. Mine's straight. Did I mention that? Uh, no, I hadn't heard. Yeah, it's, it looks pretty doggone good. Oh, I'm sure it does. I'll have to get some pictures. Yeah, and post them on the website. Yes, uh-huh. I'll do that. On your own. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, at least I know what my next step is. So. Yeah, I, I don't think all is lost. I don't think you need to start over. I don't think you need to go back to the first one. I think this one is fine. I think you can fix it. Good, because this one is nicer. It is pretty. It's I love the holes in the in the, you know, the cutouts and the ribs I mean, and it's really laser nice. cutter it's lighter does a great too. Job. Did you it, notice that? No, I didn't. If you pick up that one in the first one, that's really? a noticeable difference. I should actually weigh them now that they're both in the exact same state. Yes. I mean, like they're. I mean, I noticed it just picking them up. So hmm. I think if you put them on a scale, you'll see a difference. Everybody, hold on. Uh, <laughs> are you going to go weigh them? I am. Hold on. <laughs> okay. And we're back. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't think you noticed that. There's no way. So the old wing was 8.82 ounces. Mm-hmm. The new wing is 8.68 ounces. 0. 0.68 is less than 0. 0.82. I told you so. <laughs> oh, you're full of it. I, come on. I told you. That's like I less felt than lighter. It's like less than 5 grams. There's no way you know the difference. That's 0. 0.1 Listen, something to I've been doing this whatever. a long time. I know what's light and what's heavy. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's because it looks lighter because of all the lightning holes and stuff. It, it, <laughs> Digging yourself a deeper hole. It definitely does give the appearance of being more airy. Yes. But here's the thing. So the second wing, <laughs> the ribs are cut out of the falcata, which we know is a little bit heavier than balsa. Yeah. But they are lightened. So in yeah. the end, it's probably a wash. I don't think we'd notice the difference, but except for strength, they might be stronger. I bet they are stronger. Should we? With the should we go break them and let's find go break out. some. <laughs> no, let's go break some. <laughs> oh, let's not. Oh, all right. Well, are you ready to get into uh, what we were going to talk about in this episode? Yeah. Why don't we? Retracts. Retracts. Retractable landing gear. Gear that go in. Gear that disappear. Gear that you don't see. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I know, so uh, all right. go on. Well, I'll uh, I'll get to it then. 
Uh, so yeah, retractable landing gear. That's the landing gear that uh, disappears into the fuselage when you click the cool button, the retract button on the transmitter, which we may want to get into at some later point, talk about transmitters and things like that again. Um, but anyway, it's a good yeah. idea. Uh, so there's uh yeah. So over the years there's been, you know, several different types of retracts. Um, three that I know of there, you know, I'm, I've been in the hobby a long time, but I haven't been in the hobby forever, you know, since it was started, you know? Yeah. Right. So, um, <laughs> thanks. I know, you know, yep. Got it. <laughs> and, uh, so there may have been retract types before I came along, but when I got into the hobby, mechanical retracts were really, uh, almost the only game in town. If you wanted to have retractable landing gear in your airplane. Um, and then, pneumatic retractable landing gear came on, you know, shortly after. And then uh, now we have electric. So there's the three basic types of retractable landing gear. There's tricycle gear, there's tail dragger type, there's uh, helicopters, I think have some, you know, there's retractable gear on some, you know, full bodied helicopters. Yeah. This is not a helicopter podcast. Right. But I'm just covering retracts <laughs> in general in the hobby. And those are the types that I know of. Oh, okay. So, is that, I didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. So there are also... Different, uh, uh, lost my train of thought. Ways to actuate them? So with the different ways to, to make them open and close. Right. You said there's mechanical, mm -hmm. which is powered by what? A servo. And then there's the electric, which is powered by what? An electric motor. So what's, Driving like, what's, gear what's the difference between those two? Yeah. So a mechanical old school retractable landing gear is basically... I got one right here in my hot little hands. Um, it's basically a, an aluminum frame with a you know a mechanism in there that pivots by pulling a servo rod, and it's usually actuated by a retract servo. It was a specific servo designed for this uh, that went 180 degrees of travel as opposed to the 120-ish that we normally have. So um, a mechanical retract is done, as the name indicates, mechanically. It's pulled via a rod from the servo, and it you know the servo pulls it up and also pushes it down. So what happens if you don't use, like I don't know, and uh, when you're building a Sig Cavalier, and you decide to put retracts on it, what happens if you don't use the correct servo and you use just a regular servo? Not that I know anybody that's done that, but <laughs> if that was uh, was the case, what would I, feel, I be looking for? I feel like there's another anonymous email coming. <laughs> um. <laughs> Fine. It was me again. Okay. So what happens? Like, I didn't know there was a difference in servos yeah. for retracts. So I used a regular one mm -hmm. that, uh, that powers, I, th I don't remember if it's a single one or double, uh, that powers the, uh, the mechanical retracts. Right. What am I going to have a problem with? You, you may have a problem with, you may not get full retraction or full extension. So if you, depending on how you have it set up, if you only, and, and I'll caveat this by saying if you're, if your installation, so there's 85 degree and, and 90 degree and there's rotating and there's all these different types of retracts. Um, most of them require 180 degrees of, with well, mechanical anyway, uh, 180 degrees of travel. Uh, so if you stick a 120 degree, like a standard servo on there, you're short 60 degrees of travel. So you may not get full, you know, retraction. So your gear may hang out of the airframe a little bit. And that might, that may not be because, you know, you can change the amount of throw 
by moving the horn out on the servo. Right, and that's what I did. The problem, well, and that's fine as long as as long as everything in your installation is 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 perfect and you don't have any binding or anything like that um so servos operate off of mechanical leverage right so -hmm. the closer the rod is into this to the output shaft the stronger you know the more torque you get out of it yeah the farther away you move it from the shaft the less torque you get you get more travel but less torque so if everything in your installation is fine, you don't have any binding and you don't need a lot of torque to operate it, then you can probably overcome your um lack your throw, of travel. Yeah, yeah, by moving the horn out. Okay. So it's something you'll have to experiment with. The retract servos were designed to be um high torque at their outermost limit of um where you would mount the horn. Outermost limit of travel, like exactly. the furthest point away right. from the the rotation exactly gotcha um probably in your situation since you're since you're powering the two mains with one servo and then you're going to do the nose gear with a different servo i'm assuming i did yes um probably you're going to be fine okay Um, because you know you're you'll take care in the installation and there won't be any binding and all your linkages will be nice and in line and (laughs) why are you smiling about that (laughs) just making sure what did i do you understand that everything needs to be perfect I, it, it's been a while since that was put together. I still right. haven't flown it, but it's, yeah. I mean, that's and done. That's, so anyway, yeah, that's why mechanical retracts are not as popular today because the setup is so important and everything has to be just right. And it is kind of a pain, especially when you have a retract buried in a wing. Sometimes it's hard to figure out a way to get that push rod to make as straight a run as it can uh, to the retract unit from the servo. Yeah, I found that out the hard way. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I have I have uh, I have a couple of airplanes um, that have mechanical retracts and um, the nice thing about mechanical retracts is once everything is all set up and you don't have any binding and you're not causing undue stress on the servo causing wear on the servo um, once it's set up you'll I mean it'll work great every single time and you have an unlimited number of cycles up and down right until you blow a servo or well, something or, but yeah right sure right but so. That's one advantage to the mechanical ones over, especially the pneumatic ones, but also the electric uh, retracts, which as we've come to find out over the years that uh, some quality, you know, or some electric retracts are better quality than others. Yeah. What? Okay. So with the mechanical ones that I put on that, Mm -hmm. is there any kind of uh, things I need to look for like over the long run? Do I need to service it? Do I need to lubricate them? Do I need to do anything special with them? Well, there are pivot points on the mechanical ones that uh, could probably benefit from, uh, you know, some kind of grease or maybe a, um, there's no such thing as a grease that doesn't attract gunk. Dirt, yeah. Yeah, but uh, m- more often than not, like I said, once they're set up and uh, aside from wear on the mechanism itself, um, there's really not much to do to service them. Uh, there is on this one, trying to be quiet here um there is a a set screw right here so as the as the plastic block wears you can adjust that little set screw to take out this sort of play and it's just a set screw that bears against the bearing surface and tightens that up but over time you know you can make that little adjustment but that's really all there is to a mechanical retract so like i am like seeing you play with it and i still don't quite understand what you're what you're talking about so could you explain that a little bit better yeah, it's hard to hard to do, but you can see the so there's a cam, right? This little rod, there's a there's a cam at the end of the rod that pulls into a 
channel of this plastic block, right? Mm-hmm. So and that's when, what actually does the movement of the uh, of the retract. Right. And then so when it gets to, in this case, the extended position, there's a set screw in this block here. In the front. Which is at the front of the retract, right. Um, that you can move in to bear against the block that contains the, the trough for the cam. Uh, and then you, if you look in there, there's a little metal place for that screw to bear down on. And that's how you adjust that slop out of it. Okay. So if you have a retract and you're trying to figure out what he's talking about, uh, it makes sense now that I kind of see it, but I understand not everybody can see it, obviously. So in the very front of this retract is a Allen wrench type set screw. Exactly. And what that does is it pushes back along or on the front of the uh, of the wire that the yeah. wheel is attached to so right. that it can't move forward and backwards. It kind of locks that in place when it's fully extended. Yep. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we might, it, we might be able to take a picture of it and put it on the on the website, maybe. But anyway, good idea. That, that's really the only service item on on a mechanical setup. Yeah, that's a good idea. By the way, we'll take a picture of that, and that will be in the uh, on the website underneath this show. Okay. Um, but an electric retract uh, with the with the you know the varying quality of stuff that we get from where we get most of our electronics, which is China. Um, We've discovered that over you know the past few years, there's varying degrees of good. <laughs> yeah. The quality uh, is definitely different. Yeah, uh, but they are super super convenient. There's no there's no real setup involved. You don't have to line up a servo. You don't have to buy an additional servo. Even though the retracts themselves are a little more expensive, okay, a lot more expensive than mechanical, um, but they don't require hardly any setup. You bolt the thing in there, plug it into a either uh, one of your empty channels on the on the receiver and flip the switch and they work. So the nice thing about that too, though, like thinking through, if I have anything that happens to that airplane, like the Cavalier that has it on it, it's going to be fairly major surgery to get in to changing out the retract if it breaks or the servo if it goes out. Whereas if it was a simple bolt-in servoless is that what they're called servoless retract i think that's one word for them yeah um then it's just the normal four screws that hold it on and then a wire right yeah so if anything happens lead basically yeah right so if anything happens it's so much easier to replace that am i correct it's easier yes it would seem like it would be very much easier yeah usually when like in the case of the duelist um, if I was using mechanical retracts, I would I would have the setup done as I'm building the wing. The sticky part is is the actual um, push rod that that actuates the servo itself yeah. coming off the servo. Um, that's the part that really kind of gets buried in the wing. But generally speaking, it's a straight rod because you want that as straight as possible. You don't want any kind of weird flexing, you know, going on, especially on your gear. Um, so usually that's a fairly straight rod wherever it's going. So it's it's usually not a big deal to disconnect it at the servo or at war at the retract and pull the rod out if you need to. But rarely would you have to do that anyway, because if you have a problem with the retract, it's going to be the retract unit itself, not usually the push rod or the servo. And if it's a servo, the servo is usually mounted in a bay somewhere where you can, you know, four screws and remove it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like on mine, like I know I had to run the, uh, the wire or the push rod through the wing, obviously in some holes, and there was a little bit of a bend to it that I had to put in in order for it to line up the way I was doing it. Um, 
But like the thing with that, so I'm not necessarily worried about landing with that because with those servos, when you have that on full extension, they actually lock out. Yeah. So that servo is not doing anything to hold any pressure. Nope. There's an actual block it's just inside holding, of the retract. It's just holding the cam in the lock. Yeah. Right. There's so, no there's no landing forces being transferred to your servo, or there shouldn't be. Yeah. So if it's set up correctly and it's actually at full pull, which right. you know is is how I did set that up, even though I okay. didn't have the right servo, um, <laughs> which I didn't even know existed. Yep. Uh, but anyway, now so you know. that one actually pulls it and locks it in place. Exactly. So you're right. When you land, all that stress that's going to be on the landing gear is not going to be pushed back to that servo. Nope. Whereas if you don't have it set up correctly, it will be. Yeah. So you got to make sure it yeah. locks both up and down. Yeah. And and the down locks are are more pronounced than the up locks. Like on this one here, you you can't even really tell that it's up and locked um, by looking at it. Even though at full travel in the up position, it does ride on that flat. It's hard to see, but anyway, um, definitely if you have it set up such that at full travel it's in both lock, uh, you will save your servo a lot of headaches. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to uh, to set it up. Yeah. Now. So that's kind of the servo-less and then the servo-driven mm-hmm. retracts. I'm, I'm familiar enough with both of those, having seen them and kind of yeah. realize or kind of understand how they work. Pneumatics. Yeah. So before, that... Before we move on, I don't want to cut you off, but before we move on to pneumatic, one more thing is on the servo-less or the electric retracts, mm-hmm. they operate on the same principle. It's basically just a tiny electric motor driving that same, essentially the same rod you would be actuating with a servo. So it still has an up lock and a down lock. And the same thing is you're not transferring those landing loads to the electric motor. Then the thing about the electric ones is it, it does it all automatically. You don't have to do any setup. So, but it does operate the same way. So it's everything built into one case. Exactly. So your servo has pretty much been moved into the actual gear itself. Exactly right. Which yep. is nice because it it's is. easier to set up. Yep. Now the other Until nice they thing. they fail because they're expensive. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> Which same, same with everything, really. Well, that's true. Uh, but the other nice thing about those, and I, I don't know how it works with pneumatics, but you can control with our transmitters, and I'm sure most transmitters, you can control the speed at which uh, that servo moves to position. Yep. So I think on mine, I have it set up for like five seconds for up and down. That gives it a more scale look. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, so it does change center of gravity just a little bit when you bring that front wheel forward. Uh, or back, you know, when you when you retract it, so yep. that makes it not uh, such a pronounced change very quickly. So having that extra time looks better, and then you can kind of adjust for anything that happens uh, due to center of gravity changing a little bit. Right. With pneumatics, can you control the speed of up and down? Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. So. On well, a, sorry, before we get okay. into that, just explain how pneumatics work. Because right. to me, it, sound, or it sounds uh, antiquated and <laughs> not the best way to go with things. And I'm sure that's going to get people upset with me that love them, uh, but I don't know them enough to know the difference. So right. uh, explain it to me and make me a convert. So, Well, I'm not going to try to convert anybody. Make, um, make me want to buy some. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I mean, each, each one of these types has its, has its advantage and has its disadvantage, right? So pneumatic retracts, the advantage of those is, number one, you don't have to set up, well, you do have to set up a servo, but you're not driving the retracts with a servo. You're driving them with air pressure uh, via an air cylinder uh, that, you know, operates on 
you know, positive and negative pressure. So, or pressure on one side of the piston or the other. Um, they're fairly simple. They're, they're probably as simple, the retract itself, to set up as an electric one. Um, it's just you have plumbing and a tank and a valve, and then you have to actuate the valve somehow with a servo. Um, so they are a little bit more complicated to set up because of the plumbing, um, but they're not as difficult, in my opinion, to set up as a mechanical servo-driven uh, retract because you don't have, like I said, you don't have to worry about a push rod or any of that stuff and make sure the run is straight or whatever. As long as you can get the airlines to the retract unit, you, you'll you get operation. So with those, you said there's a valve and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is it, okay, so the cylinder, is it like spring-loaded one way and then the air valve works the other way? Or is it literally positive pressure to one side to put them up and then switches positive pressure to another side to put them down. Right. So there's actually two types of pneumatic retracts. <laughs> Let um, me guess. <laughs> right. So there's spring airs. Okay. Uh, which is a, used to be a brand name. I think they're actually owned by Robart now. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, everybody who's listening. Um, but they, like you said, they would spring down and air up. So if you lost air pressure, the, the oh, idea was that idea. they would spring down for safety so you could land. Um they were, for some reason, they were a little more expensive back in the day. Uh, I'm not sure why, because maybe the spring costs a little more to make than the piston. I don't know. Um, but anyway. I can see that. Yeah. And then the air up, air down are just exactly like you described. It's a, a piston at the end of a rod. That's the actuator. And on one side of the piston, you know, you push it, it moves the gear one direction. And then with the valve, you change the direction of the airflow, put that positive pressure on the other side of the piston, and it moves it up. So you have two lines that go to each one? Exactly. Okay. Yep. And what kind are you putting in the do list? So I'm actually putting Robart pneumatics. Which is the spring-loaded ones? These or are the air ones? up and air down. What, like what kind of tubing does that use? It's a very, very small diameter. It's about a 16th inch diameter. Very, very, it's a, honestly, I don't know what it's made of because it's really, really tough. Like it's even difficult to cut but it's very rubbery. Um, no doubt it's very thick. You know, the wall thickness is very thick to prevent, you know, because we, you know, pump these things up to 100 PSI or whatever. I was, I was wondering what they were going to run at. Yeah. Um, depending on the on the system and the size of your tank or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what that tubing is made of, but it's very tough. Like I said, the outside diameter is about an eighth of an inch. It has about a 16th inch or so inside diameter and tough as nails difficult to get on the nipples sorry um but it's a very tough it's a very tough rubbery line that uh um you know it's resistant to uh rupture because of the high pressures we use and so is that like a barb fitting and then is there something that goes on the outside to hold it on then or there is do you crimp Uh, it so the the fittings are barbed uh to hold the line on under those high pressures and then um I've never actually put anything on the outside of them to hold them onto the barbs because I've never had a problem with them pulling off. Um, but they do make, Robart makes these cool little aluminum uh, knurled things that thread on there to help hold them on. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, yeah, I guess 100 PSI when you're down at the 16th inch, uh, you know, inside diameter of a circle is going to be very low pressure. So it's not going to be trying to push itself off very hard. Right. And, um, and you asked how you slow them down. So the new, the newer style Robart systems, the valve itself um, has uh, 
bleeder screws, for lack of a better word, that you can use to um, raise and lower the pressure in the open position. So it essentially will slow them down just by lowering the pressure, the oh. actuating pressure. Yeah. And they also make restrictors that you can cut and put in line too. So you can make them, you know, go faster up than down or up, down than up or, or whatever. Are you going to do anything like that with yours or just let it go straight, like full-fledged power? Well, I'm not going to buy the inline restrictors um, because I don't need them. I have the newer style valve with mine, so I will probably slow them down a little bit because if you've ever seen a pneumatic retract go up at full pressure, it's you don't want to get a finger in the way. <laughs> Is it violent? It's quick. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it happens very fast. <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad then. I, I can imagine that would like shake the whole plane and be problematic even Well, if your mounting is secure, it shouldn't be too big a deal. But like not even moving it around like when you're flying at all? You don't yeah. notice that? <laughs> okay. So how many times can you put this up and down? Depends on the size of the tank. So if you have a, a medium-sized Robart tank, you can probably get 10 cycles on a, on a full tank, which is plenty usually, because uh, you'll top it off between each, or you should top it off between each flight. How do you top it off? You connect a pump and pump it up to 100 PSI. By hand? Well, yeah. <laughs> or if you have the fancy electric <laughs> pump from Robart, you can use that. Oh, yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> that's, that's too much work, especially when you can go electric. <laughs> Right. And not have to do anything like that. Well, like that. I said, there's advantages to each. Yeah. Uh, what? So, like, how big of a tank does this hold? Is it, like, the size of a fuel tank, like, in a nitro plane or something? Well, the tanks are... Do you remember, like... You may not remember because you're young, but back in the 80s, you know, the hair mousse was, like, this big thing, and they came in these little pressurized oh, cans. sure. Very similar size My sister had those all the time. And I think those were six ounces, I think, roughly six ounces of yeah. volume uh, that we pump up to 100 PSI. Or so. Wow. So mm -hmm. you got to find a place for that. Yep. Yep. That gets Inside mounted the in the airframe. Yep. Along with the valve and all the plumbing. And so weight-wise, is that going to be the heaviest of the options? Mm, yeah. Because, yeah, I'm, because that tank's going to have to be fairly well, thick, I, right? I, you know, I'm, I don't know. It depends on it depends on the setup. Uh, so like on a on a mechanical servo-driven gear set, like if you're using two servos, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have to have maybe a little bit heavier battery, a little bit heavier-duty battery maybe, or maybe even a battery just for the retracts. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, you may, you may, it may be a wash. But really? certainly heavier. Huh. Both of them are going to be heavier than electric retracts, for sure. Both of what? Like the pneumatic and the mechanical are going to be heavier oh. than... See, so you say mechanical... And I, I still think of those as electric. Servo-driven, I'm there sorry. There you go, sorry. Because yeah. okay. they're, they're still electric. Yeah, true. But I, I got you, yes. you're right. Yep. Um, well, that's interesting. So yep. I, like I said, I've never done any, I don't even know if I've ever, I don't think I've ever messed with any of the yeah. pneumatic stuff either, so. And and here's, although the the um, servo-less retracts <laughs> have come a long way and they're they're getting better, you know, every, every year, mm -hmm. um, the real advantage to pneumatic uh, was their power. Like if you had a scale airplane with really big, heavy wheels, you needed the, you know, the, the oomph that, uh, that air pressure could provide. It was hard to find a servo strong enough to lift those big, heavy wheels up into the, you know, up into the landing gear base. So, so the real advantage was, was, uh, was heft, you know, they, they were capable of moving heavier things. Nowadays with gear reductions and, and high power, you know, um, brushless motors. Thank you. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to 
the word has escaped me for some reason. Um, but yeah, they're they're certainly catching up, and you can you can see that in in you know you go and look at the Robart catalog, they sell electric reach or servoless retracts now. <laughs> uh, electric servoless for as a, yeah for big as airplanes. opposed to electric servoed. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, that yeah that that's cool. I mean, yeah. I so one other thing we didn't talk about um, the nose gear and how that all works with steering. So there's a couple of different ways to do that. So on more modern ones, when the hard to describe without a picture, <laughs> um, but uh, usually a pull pull cable on on the ones that work really really well. I'm just gonna say it that way. Um, they will have a pull pull cable, kind of like what you would have on a rudder, mm-hmm. um, such that when the gear retracts, the servos kind of go slack. And there's usually a little centering spring on the servo, so that when there's no no pressure on it the spring sort of centers the nose gear when there's no no uh, tension on the cables that do the actual steering. And that's on the servo? It's No, it's on the on the retract itself. You said servo, so that's what confused oh, me. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant on the retract unit. Okay. Um, so like as it's retracting, that little spring on the retract unit centers the, <laughs> the nose gear so that it can tuck up into the, you know, into your opening. Um, but when so it's, that way it doesn't steer when you're moving you're the, rudder, the rudder while you're exactly. trying to put it away. Yep. Okay. And then when it's extended, it it pulls the gear up and you know tightens up the cables for the steering, and then the steering now overcomes that tiny little spring on the retract unit, um, <laughs> and that's how you get your steering. Okay. That's that's on the more modern ones, the ones that work really really well, um, and those are the ones I like. Um, on mechanical servo driven ones, um, <laughs> they have a they have this weird rod with a sliding um arm yeah i don't for know, lack of I know what you're word, talking about and i don't even know what that, to call it such that as it moves up you know the arm is in you know one position and then when it retracts the arm is allowed to move slide up and down you know to account for rudder movement i don't like those i've never really had very good luck getting those set up correctly even quality ones um i just prefer the the cool cable ones yeah, so that's what I have on that Cavalier, and the I think pull pull. No, the, oh, the one weird I'm, little. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it as much as it's just a weird setup. Yeah. Um, that when it's down, you know, the servo is able to push and pull on it, but when it goes into the retract mode, it instead of being vertical, mm-hmm. it's parallel mm-hmm. to the uh, to the airplane. Yeah. And so the rod can slide up so, and down. Right. With so rudder that movement. piece yeah. will slide up and down on the rod when you change the rudder. And yeah, it's, it's a weird setup. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I don't, like, I'm not fully comfortable, I think, using that whole setup on that airplane. Yeah. And there's that's probably a, why I haven't flown it yet. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a trick to getting that right. Mm-hmm. Um, if there, and if anybody out there knows what the trick is, because I've tried making sure that the, you know, the push rod is perfectly parallel to the, plane right. of the rotation yeah. and, and I've had varying degrees of success with that to the point where I just usually give up. What I've done in the past is I take a uh, a dual-sided uh, nose wheel steering arm, okay, mount that as high up as I can on the wire, and then I just attach pull-pull cables to that and then I figure out a way to keep it centered when, when the pressure's off. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. It's easy to do. Yeah. So... My, like I said, it's been a, a pain getting that one set up on mine, and I think that's kind of why I shelved it. Right. I mean, like I said, it's it's finished. Yeah. It just needs a battery, and it needs to have the CG checked, and it needs to be flown. Right. But I'm not comfortable enough getting that all set up to, to deal with it, and I've moved on. So yeah. it'll well, probably I mean, just be a, a shelf queen for a while. 
No, so. it's not going anywhere. That's correct. But anyway, that's uh, that's kind of a quick and dirty rundown of the different types of retracks that uh, that you'll encounter today. So there's another kind of retracks too, like on the that P40. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just use ones that come right in. There's the the type that what's it like eighty or ninety degree or one hundred and twenty degree twist. Oh, they rotate. Rotate. Rotating retracts, yeah. Yeah. That's another type that's out there. Um, And that's done usually mechanically on the retract unit itself with either a a rod that that pushes as it, you know, on the the gear leg that's allowed to twist in the block. Or there's a few different ways to accomplish it. Um, But, yeah, they uh, there's different, uh, like a, a Corsair may not require the same number of degrees of rotation that a P40 requires. So... Um, you'll have to make sure that whatever retract you get matches the application. Um, but all of those rotating retracts are available in all these different types as well. So adding to the complexity. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to retracts. I there mean, there is, really is. There is. And, and not to mention, you want to make sure they're mounted solidly. You know, I've, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've either myself pulled a retract out of a wing on a rough landing or seen it many times at the field. And it's all a function of, landing technique <laughs> in in addition to the mounting of, of actually you know the structure that you're mounting that retract to there's uh you know there's lots of ways to accomplish that there's uh um when you're like in in the case of the duelist i'm making sure that my mounting blocks are tied to the ribs that they are adjacent to so in, instead of just mounting the blocks to the notches in the ribs i'm going to go ahead and add a block underneath and epoxy that to the side of the rib and also the bottom of the block. And then for added security, I'm going to drill a small hole and add a 16th inch dowel with epoxy in there to tie all those pieces together. And that will maybe not guarantee that I'll never pull the retracts out, but it's certainly going to be stronger than how most ARFs are constructed for retracts. So a little, I'm sorry, go back a little bit mm-hmm. more. Okay. I know, like, because I know the duelist, I know that where the gear is supposed to go, that uh, uh, the ribs are doubled up just in that area. Right. So between that, you're talking about going from rib to rib, you're putting in a block to well, hold it. Yeah, there's a there's a block just like a servo rail right? Right. that uh-huh. the retract will bolt to. Yes. yes. And then what are you talking about? You do extra, and then where do you pin it? So on the underside of those blocks, in line with the block, right, up against the rib, perpendicular to the block, Will be it will be glued to both the block and the face of that rib. So, okay, so to give it to more... tie it together. Yep. Okay. And then to tie all those pieces together, I'll drill a hole straight down the mounting rail into my reinforcing block underneath it, and then I will tie those together with either sixteenth inch or eighteenth or eighth inch dowel with epoxy. Okay. Pinning it. It's it's what's, what's called it, pinning it to yeah. keep it from moving. Yep. Okay. Just to tie all that structure together and tie it to the rib, make sure it's transferring as much of the load as evenly over the that area of the wing as possible. So, so I'm not just counting on the blocks to, you know, rip right. out of the <laughs> rip out of the wing ribs <laughs> to hold my gear. But the best thing is just land carefully, flare correctly, technique and land yep. the right way. Right. And that comes with practice. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it does, but even the best pilots still have a hard landing every now and then. Oh, yeah. I get it wrong all the time. So. Well, I said the best pilots. Well, you did say the best pilots. <laughs> I'm certainly not the best. That's for sure. So Mediocre at best. Yeah. You get the job done. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
One one final thing. I was looking at the retracts here on the table and it reminded me, match match the gear wire size to the airplane. So like a 40 size airplane that's, you know, eight pounds or less, really six pounds or less, 532 wire, they're going to be just fine. Anything over that, do yourself a favor and go up to the 3 16th wire. That's really, oh, okay. all, that's just really all I want to say. Stronger that way, yep. you mean? Or, okay. Yeah. It's less flex and heavier airplanes. You don't want to look an all wonky on the runway, bouncing side to side, you know, moving, springing on the gear. That looks funny. <laughs> it looks wonky. It does. That's it the word wonky. of the day. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah, that's that's kind of all I had about uh, retracks. If you guys have questions, as always, email us, ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. Uh, speaking of email us, we do have a couple emails I want to read. Nice. We can get into it. Okay. So the first message is from Dean. Uh, he says, uh, hi, guys. Another happy listener from down under West Australia. Why are you shaking your head? I'm sorry. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, go ahead. I love, love the Australian accent. Like I, do I, too. I can't do it, obviously. But <laughs> oh my God. Like talking to somebody with that accent, I don't care what you're saying. I can just listen to you like all afternoon. Yeah. I, I absolutely just, yeah. Uh, so anyway, sorry, Dean. Didn't mean to offend you if I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it says Hi, guys. Another happy listener from down under West Australia. Just listen to your podcast on storing planes. <laughs> what? You know, you can cut my laughs out. You can just keep going. Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Super Skybolt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Just listen to your podcast mm. on storing planes. I might have missed it. Uh, hold on. You got me all messed up. <laughs> just listen to your podcast on storing planes. I might have missed it, but storing fueled powered airplanes, hanging them by the tail is the best to reduce the oils shaping through the fuselage. Uh, gravity can be your friend. Keep up the good work, Dean. What do you think about hanging airplanes from the tail? I personally don't like it. Um, and I understand that there's, you know, a time or a place where that might be necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on how you accomplish that, um, more often than not, the way I've seen it done is somebody ties a rope around the tail, ties it, you know, hangs it on a hook on the side of the wall and, you know, and that's it. Um, there's certainly more secure ways to do that, but I don't like doing it that way because number one, you're putting a lot of strain on the on the empennage or the or the horizontal you know um, stabilizer. Um, over time, I don't like what that could potentially do to an airplane. You know, pull it out of alignment or 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 put rope marks in the leading edge of the thing. I've done that myself. I'm guilty. Yeah. Um, so that's reason number one. I don't like to hang them from the tail. Um, or hang them nose down. Um, I suppose you could probably figure out a way to to hang them from the gear nose down, but you'd still have to figure out a way to keep the tail against the wall. Yeah, I just I don't particularly care for putting undue stress on the airframe. Um, and number two, yeah, gravity is your friend, and it does pull all the the fuel and all the gunk and stuff out of the fuselage, which is fine. Um, but it also pulls that that any residual fuel and, 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 uh, oil that's in the, in the crankcase and it makes, and it gets it to collect on that front bearing of the motor. And I'm not confident that I get all of the fuel 
out of my engine. I mean, I do the best I can, and I put after-run oil in it, which should be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but oil tends to, especially if it's going to sit for a long time, it tends to get gummy and varnishy, if that's a word, varnishy. It works. I know so, what you meant. You knew what I meant. <laughs> um, so I don't want that sitting on my front bearing, you know, potentially, you know, causing corrosion or, or certainly making it sticky for the, you know, difficult to turn for the next start. And the last thing I want to happen is the, is the crankshaft to spin inside the bearing. That's bad. That's the same thing as a spun bearing. If you're familiar with what, you know, the term means a spun bearing is, is essentially running a, a crankshaft dry inside a bearing. And then the bearings shell. Almost like you're running it in a bushing. Exactly. But in this case, you're taking, you know, the crankshaft kind of welds itself to the bearing. And then now you're spinning the bearing inside the bore, which causes damage to the bore. And now you've messed up the whole crankcase. You know what I'm saying? I got you now. Yeah. So I don't particularly want that to happen to any of my engines. So um, I prefer the, the gunk, if you will, for lack of a better word. Uh, I would prefer that to collect in the bottom of the crankcase where it's designed to collect away okay. away from my bearings. Okay. So that's, I mean, but I certainly understand, you know, maybe space, you know, maybe you have a, a limited amount of space and that's the only way you can do it. Um, but I still kind of prefer to store them as level or as horizontal as possible off the gear <laughs> or off the wheels rather. Okay, well, Dean, thanks for reaching out. Uh, if you don't like Tom's answer, his email <laughs> is tom at rcplanelab.com. Uh, reach out and tell him he's wrong because yes, I, I enjoy I, emails like that too. I am always up for being proven wrong, and I am proven <laughs> wrong frequently, So, and I accept it graciously. <laughs> Very nicely put. Uh, so let's, let's move on to a, a message from Fred. Hello, Fred. Uh, Fred says, hello, I have a DX6i transmitter and mm-hmm. looking to upgrade. Uh, okay. I want to stay with Spectrum. Any suggestions? Thanks. So I let him know. Yeah, that, just go out and buy an iX20 and call it good. <laughs> that's not what I told I'm him. I'm just teasing. Uh, no, so I, I have a, an old school DX8 is what I fly with. I also have one. Um, yeah, but you've upgraded. But anyway, so that one does plenty for me for now. I think it holds 30 models in memory. Uh, it has the eight channels, and I... And it has room for more with an SD card. But... I don't know if the 6i does that. It might. I don't know if it... I don't think so. I don't okay. remember what I don't remember what 6i have, but it doesn't have an SD card slot. Okay. And it's an older 6. But anyway, uh, on the 6 that I have, you can only store 10 models, and that's it. However, yeah. you cannot, like on the DX8... And this is the old one. Well, this is first generation. Right. I'm sure the new ones are like a lot mine. better than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ones that you store on that card, you can't access directly off the card. What do you mean? So you have to load them onto the transmitter first. Yes. Right. So you can't just have like a thousand models on that card and go through all thousand and get to them. You have to load it into a slot right. on the 30 the, and then use it. Right. But the workaround for that is you leave one slot on your DX8 empty. Right. And then you plug Always in your card one. and then whichever one you want to fly off that card, you load it into that empty slot and off you go. Um, but that's kind of Either off way. topic because yeah. if you're going with a newer uh, a newer Spectrum transmitter, I'm pretty sure they're past all that. Oh, yeah. So you fly with an iX12? I have an iX12. And the only reason I upgraded was because I got a smoking hot deal. You don't have to justify yourself. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, Otherwise, I would still be flying with the exact same radio you have. Yeah, the good and old to DX8. Be honest, I mean, aside from the limitation of the number of channels, 
it, that radio did everything I wanted it to do. Yeah. And everything are, I needed. There know? are times, and, and you would think eight channels is enough, but there are times where it would be sure. nice to have more. Yep. Well, like I like many to, times. Yeah, <laughs> I like to run, um, I like to run on bigger airplanes. I like to run dual servos, you know, one servo for each control surface if I can. And on a biplane. Or, or two sometimes. Sometimes if it's, yeah. yeah, if it's a really big airplane, which I don't own a really big airplane like you do. Does your, I'm, I wasn't going for that, but does oh. your, like your yak and stuff, it's not two. Oh, nope. it's just one? One per surface. Oh, I didn't yep. know that. They're 8711s, but yeah, one per surface. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, but on a biplane, on a big biplane, well, even on a smaller biplane, like my, my reactor has one servo on each aileron, one servo on each elevator half. Yeah. And then it has a servo on the rudder. So there's seven servos right there. Yeah. And I like those to be plugged into separate channels so that I can mix them accordingly. And the nice thing about the DX8 and the DX6i might also do this. Um, you can tell it what type of airframe you're flying when you do the programming. Yeah. And it'll have everything all set up for you. You I don't, don't have to do any mixing. I don't think my six would do that. Oh, no? Okay. I don't think so. Um, well, certainly it does flapper on. Yeah, you can. Do so you can plug in your I, your aileron servos separately, right? But I don't think there was a lot of there wasn't a lot with that one that I nope. remember. So I've had a four, a five, a six, and an eight. Okay. Um, the four came with the first airplane I had, mm -hmm. and it was garbage. Yeah. Like as soon as I got it and well, flew you said a something few about times, the range on that one. Yeah. So as soon as I got it and flew a couple times, like I would lose range. Like you would just lose control of the airplane for a few seconds. Yeah, a couple that's, seconds even. That's not good. But enough to where, you know, I, it did not give me the, the warm fuzzies about knowing I could <laughs> actually control this thing. So then I upgraded to a five, uh, which, you know, whatever. That would do one model. It didn't have any of the computerized stuff on it. Then I got the six. Six did well for quite a while, but then you were limited on really on the amount of things you could do with it. Um, and I looked like after I got this email from him, the DX8s. Are cheaper now than when I bought them. Yeah, by like fifty bucks. Yeah, I think they're three twenty nine now, and I think I paid three seventy nine. Three seventy nine. I'm pretty sure that's what I paid for my DX eight also. Although that's been what six seven years ago, something like that, maybe more. Yeah, I think. But yeah, yeah. So any, I mean, oh, wow. really, any of the new Spectrum radios that you would go with if you're wanting to stick with Spectrum are going to do fine. You just kind of have to look into what you're wanting out of it. How many channels you want. Um, how many models you want to store and that's and, and certainly how much you want to spend well right um do they still make the seven a dx7 because it sure. was a seven yeah there was I, a, I think yeah there was a seven, seven there's S. a nine there was a seven s uh which was a good radio which is that which was i think programming wise almost identical to a dx old dx8 yeah and I, uh, yeah rate, that makes sense it was just missing one of the channels yeah but any, anyway a dx6i i think will do all the basics and i'm pretty sure it does flapper on I, it's been a while i don't remember but um yeah you're you're kind of limited by the the number of models you can store because i mean let's let's be honest 10 models <laughs> sounds like a lot it sounds like a lot but it's not but it's really not so let's say you know you you build a few foamies uh you pick up a bind and fly a couple of ultra micro bind and flies, um, you know, and you, and you build an airplane and the next thing you know, you're like, Oh, I got to delete one of these profiles so I can load up the new one. Mm -hmm. And, and that's not fun. Mm -mm. Or, you know, oh, I got to buy another transmitter. So I've got more memory or whatever. We'll just, yeah. 10 is not a big number. No, <laughs> it's like I said, you're right. Especially it if you like get it, really, but... really into it. Like Ron, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> 
I don't have the new transmitter that I can just say, I want to fly this plane. And it says, yes, Tom, let oh, me get this so ready cool. for you. You know what's really cool about the transmitter I have? I can whip out my phone and show my transmitter a picture of the airplane I want to fly, and it will bring up that profile for me, and I'll just go fly it. You're lying. I know. I'm lying. Oh. But it is pretty slick. I believed you for a and second. Like, and like I said, the only reason I have it is because I got a good deal. Would on you stop? Otherwise, it? I would still be flying Listen, my DX. It's okay, money bags. I get it. Okay. I mean, you. All have, right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're but, full of it. So yeah, anything really that Spectrum makes, I think, as long as it fits the needs that you have, exactly, will will yep. do well for you. Yep. Anything? But looking, but looking into the future, ten model memories is you're probably going to outgrow that before you outgrow the programming. Wouldn't you say? I would think so. But if he's wanting to go away from a six and go up to something else, anything new is going to be absolutely above 10. Yep. So, oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Yep. That's my point. So oh, I got you. Okay. Just I'm, make sure I'm you match now. match how many channels you think you're going to need and then check the model memory. But yep. and like, like said, we said, Spectrum makes good stuff. Yeah, so and like we right. said before, spend as much as you can. And then add some so <laughs> you don't have to do it again later. Right. But I mean, you know, Spend spend what you can and and get well, what you need. Actually, I don't know if that's a good or a good advice anyway, because like the DX8 that I bought at that time, mm-hmm. there wasn't like there's no way I could afford or have paid whatever was next, like the nine, I think, or maybe what else would have been out at that time? Because it jumped, I think, right after the eight or the eight. I'm wasn't thinking, there like was a there, ten? I, th- I don't think there was a nine out at that time. Well, there was a DX18 between that's, the... Okay, that's it. Between, yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. That was out, I think, at the same time as the 8 when I was looking at it. And I think there's a DX12 now, I think. It's been so long since I've looked at new <laughs> I know, right? Isn't that terrible? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but anyway, yeah. I, I follow what you're saying. You know, the, the next step was huge. And, like, even now, going from, like, what... If you were going to buy a new DX8 to an IX12, like you have... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's another $350 on top of the DX8 or more. So it's about twice the price. Yeah. But really, if you can swing it, all the extra stuff that comes with it, I think it's probably worth it. I I mean, truth be told. I I will admit um, that the IX12 is, is a little bit more than I was um, prepared for programming-wise um, because it's... Uh, it's Android based, mm-hmm. right? So the menus are very similar, familiar to me with my Android phone. So that part of it was good, but the amount of programming you can do with this thing is it's off the charts. It, I mean, it, it took me a while really to sort of get used to it. Well, you but, can watch YouTube on it, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's so weird on yeah. the actual screen. On the screen, I and can bring up YouTube. The other thing that got me, you don't like you turn on your transmitter <laughs> for the day. This took a getting used to. Yeah. You don't turn it off when you're done flying. Nope. Like that's nope. you just put so it to, backwards. You to just me. put it to rest, just like your phone. Yeah. And then when you're ready to fly, you wake it up and you're ready to go. And you just yell at it, right? You're like, "Hey, wake hey, up! Hey, wake up! It's, yeah, we're ready to fly. I'm ready to fly. Yep. And then it says, "Oh, thank you, Tom. You woke me from my nap. What would you like to fly today? Exactly. I mean, and then I show it the picture. Here, I want to fly <laughs> this plane. And then and you then, just say, yeah, take and then, off. And then while I'm flying, if I want, you know, three clicks of right aileron trim, I just say, hey, 
give me three clicks on right aileron trim, and it just does it. It's, no, it doesn't. Does it really? No, it doesn't. Okay, see, I fall for some of those things, and some I don't. Like, that uh, one would be cool if you could do that. That would be kind that of That would cool. be awesome. Except then you're going to have somebody like me just yelling over your shoulder. <laughs> exactly. Four clicks, right trim. Nose oh, crap. Nose down into the ground. Yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't. It's not. It's not voice commanded. But it does. It does give you voice prompts if you want. Like I can. I can program it in my own voice to prompt for whatever. Like if. Like if I have a timer set and and I want an alarm <laughs> at one minute to go, I can record myself saying, "Hey, ding dong, you got a minute left." Please let me do that for you. And it will play that back for please, me. Please, oh please, let me record. No, it doesn't do that. I'm just. Oh, easy. it doesn't. Gosh, <laughs> you're so darn, easy. I'm so gullible on this. <laughs> It doesn't? I thought it did. I don't think so. Oh, man. If it does, I haven't figured it out yet. But I, <sighs> I will look into that, though, now. I mean, what if it does do that? That'd be awesome. You you disappoint me. It does have different voices, though. Like, you can... It, like, it, it does have the voice prompts, you know, like, it does have a timer. I don't know if I can believe you anymore. I'm telling the truth now. Um, it does have voice uh, prompts, like, you know, timer, five minutes or whatever, but I, and I think you can change the voice like to female or male or whatever. But yeah, I don't think I can record my own, which would be awesome. <laughs> Spectrum Horizon, if you're listening, you should definitely put that on there if it's not already. Yeah. Maybe the iX20 does that. Well, it's time for you to upgrade. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I definitely I'll take cannot your 12. afford the iX20. What is that, 1200 bucks? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they're, it's well is over a thousand. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, okay. Moving you know what on. We need to do. Not moving on. We, we need to diversify. Like, I'll keep all my Spectrum stuff, and you need to upgrade to, like, Futaba or something. So we will have the experience of each brand, and we'd be able to talk about them. Because really that's all a, we no, know— No, that really is a good idea. Right, because all we know really is Spectrum. Let me know what you buy, <laughs> and uh-huh. I'll just take all your old radio gear. Right, right, right. Okay. No, honestly, like, I have thought about, like— I know what is it, Turnigy or Hobby King or all those different places. Make. There's FR Sky and there's yeah, there's a bunch of other ones. Yeah, now. I really don't know anything about them except that they're very inexpensive. Yeah, but you can get like decent transmitters for very inexpensive. Maybe yeah. maybe you're right. Maybe we should try something and just see you know see what we think because well there you we go. We are we are kind of ignorant when yeah. it comes to anything other than Spectrum. I right. will fully admit that. Yeah, I admit it too. So. Like I know old Futaba stuff, but any of their fast, their their DSM or whatever their version of it is called, I have zero um, experience with yeah. it. Okay, now, so, can we, now can we move on? Yes, I'm sorry. Last, moving on. I think right. Last, yeah. Last message. Uh, this is from Leroy, and Leroy says, "I listened to your podcast episode 30. I heard what you said about the FAA number. The site asked for specific planes." Uh, and with each, you get a new number and pay an additional $5. I have paid for three. The first was a few years ago, uh, was renewed without me doing anything. So I responded to Leroy. Uh, we had a little uh, conversation back and forth. So this is kind of important to know. When you go in to register your airplanes, your drones, whatever you want to call them with the FAA, there are two options. Option one is part 107. And then the other option is uh, you can uh, register or uh, you can register it under the exception for recreational flyers. When you do the registration for recreational flyers, which is what I have done, mm-hmm. it's five dollars for one number 
that covers all of your airplanes. Right. So I don't deal at all with any of the part 107 stuff. Now, yeah. from what I understand, the 107 is if you're making money, right. uh, doing anything commercial, uh, that's when you need to register under the part 107. And with that, if I remember right, there's a training you have to go through, tests you have to take, proficiencies you have to go through, right. uh, which does not apply to that's, the recreational flyers. That's my understanding as well. Right. So we, we, you know, we kind of talked back and forth a little bit. Uh, he did, unfortunately, register incorrectly oh, uh, under the 107 as opposed to the other. So now he's going to switch over and register his, his last one under this uh, the recreational flyers thing. It's important to know you don't have to register each and every drone under the recreational flyers thing. So yeah. when you register and, and go for your number, just make sure you're under that correct uh, yeah, registration, the exemption. The, yeah. the exemption thing, and then yeah. and then you'll be fine. And that's and that's like you said, that's one number assigned to you to put on you, all of your airplanes. Yes, every single one of them yep. and under it's fifty-five one, pounds. And it's a one-time fee every three years. It's supposed Five to be every years. three years, but three once years, again, yeah. I I I was renewed automatically hmm. without being charged. So. Yeah. And that might just be because they don't have everything figured out for what they're going to be doing to us next. But <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So, yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about today? No, I think that uh, I think that about does it for me. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure you go to the website and fill out our survey. Uh, we got a lot of uh, responses this last week, but we still want more. So if you filled it out. Thank you very much. Yep. If you haven't, shame on you. Go do it now. <laughs> Until yes. Let us shame you into taking our survey. Whatever has to be done. <laughs> hey, uh, if you guys want more content, it comes from you. <laughs> I mean, really. There you go. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean you're right. A lot of the stuff we talk about are, are listener suggestions. So mm -hmm. uh, in a way, you're helping yourselves. Good way to look at it. Anyway. And, uh, yeah, we'll try to, I'll try to get Ron to take a picture of this retract so you can kind of see what we were talking about. Uh, okay. Put it, on the, put it on the show notes yes. or on the website. I'm the only one that can do that, so I will do that. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> good night. Thanks good night, for listening. Everyone. See ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.